Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. My name may not be on the ballot, but our progress is on the ballot. Tolerance is on the ballot. Democracy is on the ballot. Justice is on the ballot. Good schools are on the ballot. Hillary's on the ballot. Ending mass incarceration, that's on the ballot right now. And there is one candidate... Stop a second. Now, notice... Yes, it'd be me, Mark Levin. Welcome. Notice they never compare his cadence and all the screaming to the Third Reich and Trump is regularly said to sound like he's creating a Third Reich. Notice this you Screaming at the top of his lungs. Notice his audience isn't said to be filled with neo-Nazis and reprobates. He's not riling up racism or anything else. Listen to the rest of it. Go ahead. Those things. And there is another candidate whose defining principle, the central theme of his candidacy, is opposition to all that we've done. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a vote that doesn't matter. It all matters. And after we have achieved historic turnout in 2008 and 2012, especially in the African-American community, I will consider it a personal insult, an insult to my legacy. If this community lets down its guard and fails to activate itself in this election. Now, this is a speech he's giving to the Congressional Black Caucus dinner. So the vast majority of people in the auditorium are African-Americans. So it's a personal insult. To his legacy if they don't vote for Hillary Clinton nobody ever called him a racist nobody ever called him a racist that's because the media and the Democrat party are tied at the hip the president's right about the Democrat party that's why there's all the fury in the media that's why you see things showing up in the Washington Compost, the New York Slimes, the Constipated News Network, MSLSD. You've offended the media when you offend the Democrat Party. Now, Obama has a deep connection to anti-Semites. One that spanned 20 years with his Reverend Wright. He preached Jew hatred, among other things, American hatred from the pulpit over and over and over again he baptized their kids he married them 
the Obamas weren't forced to attend that church. That's the church they chose to attend. They wanted to sit in the pews and listen to an anti-Semite. The Iran deal was the greatest threat to Jerusalem, of course, to this country, but the greatest threat to Israel that one could possibly imagine. Transferring $150 billion to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. Can you imagine? Almost every Democrat voted for it. Obama insisted on it. The media insisted on it. Obama was so committed to this that he abused the Prime Minister of Israel. Prior to that, his political allies went to Israel to try and defeat the Prime Minister of Israel. But that's not anti-Semitic. No, 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 no. Nor is it collusion. And he treated the Prime Minister of Israel with disdain. Unlike Al Sharpton, who visited the White House 415 billion times, the Muslim Brotherhood, CARE, and others of that ilk. Obama had a picture with Farrakhan. Imagine if Trump had a picture with David Duke. Obama had a picture with Farrakhan. They covered it up till he was out of office. Incredible. Now the Democrat Party is the home of anti-Semitism. I'm not saying all Democrats are anti-Semitic. It's not what I said. I said it's the home to anti-Semitism. The Republican Party is not. The Democrat Party is the party to the Palestinian movement. The Republican Party is not. The Democrat Party is the party of the Iran deal. The Republican Party is not. The Democrat Party has come to the defense of Talib and Omar and Ayak. The Republican Party is not. Talib, Omar, and Ayak are street anti-Semites, Jew-haters, and Israel haters. It's not an allegation. It's a scientific fact, much more than climate change. It's all around you. Read it. Listen to them. And the media defend them and celebrate them. The President of the United States says in so many words, you know, if you're Jewish and you vote for the Democrat Party, what's wrong with you? It's a question I ask her all the time. But he's not allowed to ask it. Because there's so many Jewish people who are Democrats, liberals who are obviously Democrats, and that's simply unacceptable. Because that would force all of them to look in the mirror. They don't want to look in the mirror. They're not going to be circumspect or introspective. They're ideologues. Ideologues. Radical, statist, progressive Ideologues. So they do what ideologues always do. They lash out. Now I've heard it said that Trump is participating in identity politics. And we criticize this all the time. So how can you be a hypocrite? How can you be inconsistent? Trump isn't participating in identity politics. If an African American chooses to vote Republican... They're not voting for people who want to literally destroy them or detest them because of their race. It means they're voting for somebody who supports the Constitution, 
capitalism, for the most part, secure borders and so forth. There aren't pockets in Congress, are there? Of individuals, Republicans, promoting segregation or racism or slavery or the absolute abolition of African Americans? I don't know of any. Do you? There's simply no rational parallel. The president is basically saying, for your own survival. And he's not limiting it to Israel. He's saying Jews. Jews, you need to defend yourselves. You need to vote smartly. You need to vote the right way. Now, the fact that APAC and AJC, the ADL and the other alphabet soup out there, is loaded with Democrats and in many ways led by Democrats and liberals. And they play a fan dance, pretending to be bipartisan and so forth. Doesn't mean this president doesn't see reality or that I don't see reality. There are a number of very solid Jewish groups in this country who support America and Israel. Like Mort Klein and the ZOA, Zionist Organization of America. There are others. And the media haven't contacted Mort Klein and the ZOA and the Washington Post for comment or the New York Times for comment. They go to a group called J Street. Now, what's J Street? J Street's been funded by, among others, George Soros. Ding dong. Hello. And others. And others who literally seek the demise of Israel while pretending to support Israel. J Street. Among others. So it is a fact that anti-Semitism is growing. It is a fact that the Democrat Party is the one of the two major parties where it has a home. Even though many of the liberal Jewish elected Democrats in the House will deny it. Who cares if they deny it? Fact is a fact. I don't filter information through other people. It's a fact. It's also a fact that the media tolerate anti-Semitism. In fact, they hire anti-Semites on a frequent basis. Now and then when they come out of the closet, they have to dismiss them. Oh, my goodness, we've got to get rid of that guy. Right? There's no question that the media and the aggregate in this country side with the Palestinians against the Israelis. Even the terrorist Palestinians like Hamas when they start firing missiles in Israel and Israel starts to pinpoint respond they attack Israel you've seen precious few stories in the New York Times or the Washington Post or these other so called news outlets criticizing Abbas and the Palestinian Authority they're supposed to be the moderates you know when they use our tax dollars in the past and international funds UN funds other country funds to give pensions and subsidies to terrorists who slaughter Jews. You know that? Trump was so appalled by that, he cut off all funding to the Palestinian Authority. And now the Palestinian Authority has announced that you may not participate, may not, must not, participate in any LGBTQ activity, no events, in Palestinian territories, or you will be arrested. And when you're arrested in Palestinian territories, you're often tortured. 
LGBTQ is banned in the Palestinian territories. Now, how come the reporters today didn't ask the president about that? What do, what do you think about the Palestinian Authority banning the LGBTQ events and arresting people who participate in them? Why didn't they ask that question? Why is this getting minimal coverage? Oh, here and there, a little hit. Nothing significant. Nothing significant. Nancy Pelosi's out of the country. Usually she's off the planet. She's out of the country, probably in another junket. And so she calls up her buddy, the president of Israel. These are, it's basically, it's more of a, uh, a, a customary position than anything else. Guy's name is Rivlin. Big lip. And of course they put out a joint statement that our connection is not between parties but between peoples. Tell me, President Rivlin, was it peoples who recognized Jerusalem as your capital? Was it peoples who moved the embassy to Jerusalem? Was it peoples who cut off funding for terrorist activities by the Palestinian Authority? Was it peoples who recognized Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights? Or was it a person who did that? Nancy Pelosi supported the Iran deal. Nancy Pelosi supported the most hostile president against Israel in modern American history, Obama. Nancy Pelosi runs cover for Talib and Omar, watered down even a resolution against them. It's a great piece in The American Thinker by Thomas Lipson. Nancy Pelosi is barely hanging on to power because of the hard Marxist anti-American shift a part of her caucus. Ayach, Omar, Talib, Presley, etc., etc. Et al, et al. But she's so hungry for power, she won't police them. She won't speak out against them. She won't put them in their place. See, she has a high tolerance for anti-Semitism too, but she pretends she doesn't. She hides behind APAC and these other organizations that give Democrats cover. I've told you many times now, the Anti-Defamation League is now led by a guy who was a special assistant to Obama. What a disgrace. And then they try and twist the president's words and, wow, he's, he's participating in a Jewish libel. We talked about this yesterday. Jewish libel? You actually have to be a radical progressive moron to believe that. Or a network news anchor. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course 
Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I watch these weight loss commercials, Nutrisystem, Jenny Craig, there's others. I don't know if they work or not. Some people say they do. I assume they do. I've got an ironclad weight loss system twice a year, Mr. Producer. The flu or stomach virus. I'm about 75%. I've had the most damnable virus. It started the second hour of this program last Thursday. I was hit with the chills. Remember, I was starting to wind down to, oh boy. I can tell when these damn things come every year. And I've lost 15, maybe almost 20 pounds. Maybe almost 20 pounds. You'll see me on the next Life, Liberty, and Levin. Because I'll be able to finally record that. Not easily. But that's the surefire way. So those of you who want to lose weight, let me just suggest the fastest way to do it, not necessarily the most enjoyable way, is a stomach virus or the flu. Just thought I'd point that out. Um, when we come back, let me tell you, I've got so much here ready for you. The President of the United States, I love these press events he does. I love them. And he rips into the press. It's hilarious. And it's educational for the rest of the American people. He knows exactly what he's dealing with. He specifically hammers this Peter Alexander of NBC News. NBC News was among the worst when the Harvard School did an analysis of the first hundred days of news coverage of the president. It's negative news coverage of President Trump was over 90% negative. That's not a news organization, ladies and gentlemen. Most of them aren't. It's a propaganda machine for the hard left. It's going to be fun. And boy, I have other stuff here. We'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. 
And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers in Primus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, before we get to the, this, this, the best two minutes in any press conference, I think, uh, and I'm not trying to play games, I just thought about this. I want you to listen to the sickening irony that the New York Times and other newsrooms would turn on this president with respect to his efforts to defend Jewish people, to defend Israel, and how they twist what he says. I want you to understand what's taking place here. I want you to understand. That's why you come here. By the way, there's some jerk who wrote a book about talk radio. I'm in there like 10 or 20 times or whatever it is. Guy never talks to me. He has the most superficial analysis of how I got into radio, and it's off. What I do on radio, hasn't read a single one of my books. This guy's a a reporter. If somebody wants to do a story on me, read my books, listen to the program. Don't read Wikipedia or Media Matters. They're two fraudulent sites. I'm an open book, as they say. But I've told you about three incredible books on how the New York Times betrayed millions and millions of European Jews. It's be the same New York Times and others who are attacking Trump. And you know the New York Times is aligned with the Democrat Party. The New York Times now believes that history began in 1619. And one was written in 1984 by Dr. David Wyman called The Abandonment of the Jews. And he explained this is all in unfreedom of the press. Which, by the way, we learned today will be on the New York Times bestseller list, ha ha ha, 13 weeks in a row. Thanks to you, those of you who have purchased copies. I appreciate it. He explained that one reason ordinary Americans were not more responsive to the plight of European Jews during the Holocaust was that very many, probably a majority, were unaware of Hitler's extermination program until well into 1944 or later. The information was not readily available to the public because the mass media treated the systemic murder of millions of Jews as though it were minor news. As though it were minor news. And uh, he says the New York Times with its wide reach, resources, access to foreign sources of information, reputation as the foremost newspaper in the country, large Jewish readership, its Jewish ownership, you would think, he says, would do everything possible to investigate and disclose the horrors of Jewish genocide. But the opposite was true. He explained that the Times, Jewish owned but anxious not to be seen as Jewish-oriented, was the premier American newspaper of the era. I have no idea why hosts on the Fox News channel won't point this out. You don't have to use my name if that's what worries you. 
But we need to get the facts out there. He says it printed a substantial amount of information on Holocaust-related events, but almost always buried it on the inner pages. The Washington Post, which has been relentlessly attacking the president over the last 48 hours. Well, the Jewish-owned Washington Post printed a few editorials advocating rescue, but only infrequently carried news reports on the European Jewish extermination. The other Washington newspapers provided similarly limited information on the mass murder of European Jewry. See, this is the groupthink of the progressives. Most of the other press, same thing. Another book written by Emory University professor Deborah Lipstadt in her book Beyond Belief. She saw the self-censorship of the media during the Holocaust as a broadly institutional problem. She wrote, quote, the press bears a great measure of responsibility for the public skepticism and ignorance of the scope of the wartime tragedy of the Nazi mass murder of Jews. The public's doubts were strengthened and possibly even created by the manner in which the media told the story. If the press did not help plant the seeds of doubt in readers' minds, it did little to eradicate them. During that war, journalists frequently said that the news of deportations and executions did not come from eyewitnesses who could personally confirm what had happened, and they as journalists were obliged to treat it skeptically. The explanation is faulty because much of the information came from German statements themselves, German broadcasts, German newspapers. If anything, these sources would have been inclined to deny, not verify the news. Neutral sources also affirmed the reliability reports. Moreover, even when the press did, in fact, encounter witnesses, it often dismissed what they had to say because they were not considered, quote, reliable or impartial. Her research also found that much of the war, the Roosevelt administration, whitewashed or de-emphasized the Nazi eradication of Jews. So now we're hearing from the same, from the same corner of the society, ladies and gentlemen, liberal Democrats and their media. Liberal Democrats who sought to cover up the Holocaust, their media that sought to cover up the Holocaust. Now they dare dare to attack a president who's pointing out the anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party by these reprobates, Omar and Talib. They dare to try and twist the president's words to suggest that it is he who speaks blood libel when it is he who's done more to expose these women these first Muslims elected to the House of Representatives, Muslim women, than anybody else. It is he, he, who has a true connection to the country of Israel. I don't know why, I don't know what it is, but it is true. The media don't. The Democrat Party does not. This president has done more for the state of Israel than AIPAC, the ADL, the AGC, and all the rest of them put together. Now, I'm not done. Shockingly, the media's cover-up continued nearly up to the war's conclusion. Ripstadt wrote that even when the war had virtually ended and the death camps were being liberated, 
Reporters continued to incorporate the fate of the Jews into that of all other national groups that had been incarcerated and murdered at the camps for the purpose of minimizing the targeted atrocity against the Jews and Hitler's final solution. In fact, it was so bad, the media cover-up and downplaying, that Dwight Eisenhower, when he walked into one of these death camps, he ordered his generals, Omar Bradley, George Patton, and others to come with him. Patton was so horrified by what he saw, he literally started throwing up. Eisenhower ordered the media cameras to come into the death camps. He wanted them to see what had taken place. How they had downplayed it throughout the war. And he was even shocked to the extent of it. Thanks to the media. And he said, in so many words, Eisenhower. My God. I knew these were evil SOBs. I just never knew how evil. Taking direct aim at the New York Times, Professor Laura Left, third book, Northeastern University, formerly a journalist, meticulously scrutinized not only the role of the media generally during the Holocaust, but the New York Times in specific. And she has written extensively about how the New York Times failed in its coverage of the fate of the European Jews from 1939 to 1945. In her book, Buried by the Times, she asks, what was it about prevailing press standards? And she's not Jewish. What was it about prevailing press standards and the policies and personalities at the New York Times that led the nation's most important newspaper to discount one of the century's most important news stories? What was it? She makes this damning disclosure. The Times' judgment that the murder of millions of Jews was a relatively unimportant story reverberated among other journalists trying to assess the news, among Jewish groups trying to arouse public opinion, and among government leaders trying to decide on an American response. The Times publisher, Arthur Hayes Sulzberger, the grandfather of the current inherent of the New York Times, intentionally and repeatedly buried news about the Holocaust deep within his paper, or ignored it altogether. And Left writes, quote, although the war was the dominant news, need not have been, and it was not the only front page news. The New York Times printed between 12 and 15 front, states, front page stories every day. Fewer than half of these typically concern the war. The Times' first story on the Nazi extermination campaign, which described it as the greatest mass slaughter in history, appeared on page 5, tacked onto the bottom of a column of stories. Yet the deaths of other civilians, <clears throat> often fewer than 100, regularly appeared on page 1. On page 1. Her research, like that of the prior two authors, Wyman and Lipstadt, found that the Times and the media overall withheld or buried much of what they knew about the Holocaust from the American people. She says the way the press in general and the Times in particular presented the facts played an important role 
in creating the gap between information and action. The way the Times and the rest of the mass media told the story of the Holocaust engendered no chance of arousing public opinion. The Times never treated the news of the Holocaust as important, or at least as important as, say, informing motorists to visit the Office of Price Administration if they did not have their automobile registration number and state written on their gasoline ration coupons. A story about the possible bureaucratic snafu appears on the front page on March 2, 1944, the same day that the last voice from the abyss was relegated to page 4. To page four. This is the history of the media in this country when it comes to the Jews. This is the history when it comes to the Holocaust. And they dare sanctimoniously unleash their lightweight, bought and paid for phony journalists against the President of the United States. Who speaks out against anti-Semitism? Who speaks out against anti-Semites? Speaks out against a Democrat party that won't police itself. Speaks out against a media that has become utterly and completely corrupt. And speaks up for a little country in the Middle East that is surrounded by enemies, whether at the UN or geographically or in the European Union. And yes within big swaths of the Democrat Party and the media. I'll be right back. Lovin. You know, our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions, locked in the grip of political correctness. They no longer allow free and open discourse, Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. Now, as Hillsdale celebrates its 175th year, It remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. And let me add, I think so much of Hillsdale College. I donated an original copy of a compilation of the Federalist Papers, which sit today as I speak at the Kirby Center. Hillsdale College, America's College. I needed to do a little zigzag there before we got to the Trump audio. How much time do we have, Mr. Producer? All right. Hopefully we'll get to it at the top of this hour. If not, I promise you the top of the new hour. Also, there's a fantastic piece by Joshua Lawson. He's a graduate student of Hillsdale, and this kid has a future in The Federalist. No, America wasn't built on slavery, but on all men are created equal. It is an outstanding piece, and I want to use it to inform you even more 
about the truth so you can push back. By the way, people are asking me in droves, what were you reading from, Mark? I'm reading from Unfreedom of the Press. I have a chapter six that is specifically focused on the New York Times called The New York Times Betrays Millions. I cannot recommend this more strongly. You see the president is battling with the media every day, and the media want to take him down. And by the way, I keep getting updates from some various GOP organizations. I don't know how they get my email. Warning that the Democrats are still planning on impeaching the president of the United States. The number four Democrat came out earlier this week and said he wants to impeach the president of the United States. So the Republicans on Capitol Hill and the RNC and others are, have been predicting all week that the Democrats are still focused on impeachment. I don't doubt it. Why wouldn't they be? This is what they do. They have nothing else. All right, we only have a minute left, so I can't do justice. So what we're going to do when we come back? I have two objectives. I don't know why I'm being so professorial today. One is I'm going to play this two-minute clip of Trump, and you're going to laugh, you're going to smile, and you're going to thank him. Today, outside the White House, the helicopter. And then I want to read to you a brilliant piece in The Federalist. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the people who work at the New York Times have never gone to Hillsdale College. They don't really know American history. They don't really know much about the American founding. And too many of them hate America. Remember, these are the same people. I just read it to you. This is the same institution, I should say, that covered up the Holocaust and never looked back. And off to the races. They are a disgrace. We got a lot coming. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. You know... Mr. Producer, between us, I think I'm going to get a hamburger tonight. I'm going to try a hamburger tonight. Desperately have wanted a hamburger. That's neither here nor there. Nancy Pelosi trashing the president from overseas. Of course, she can't get her own caucus under control. He won't find her trashing Talib or Omar. And this sleazeball, Chuck Schmucky Schumer, taxed the president today. With respect to Jews. Now they're puke. Sits there quietly. While anti-Semitism is growing within his ranks. What a clown. These people are an embarrassment to me. All right. Trump is outside the White House. He's conducting one of his pressers. And they are fantastic. And the media have more access to him than ever before. What they don't like is that it's on his turf, not theirs. There's nothing written anywhere in the Constitution, chiseled anywhere, that you have to hold a press conference the way John Kennedy held a press conference, and the president couldn't hold one the way John Kennedy did anyway, because the press loved John Kennedy. 
Remember how the press treated Obama? He'd get like four or five total questions in, in about an hour because he'd drone on and on and on like Fidel Castro. And then if uh, somebody else wanted a question and interrupt, let's say like an insane Jim Acosta, everybody would boo him and quiet him down. So, uh, you know, when the press is working with a president, it's much easier, isn't it, for that president? But here's President Trump today at the White House. Many of you are working. You may not have seen this or heard this, but it was fantastic. Cut one, go. Sir, Joe Biden's gaffes, you like to attack, you like to attack Joe Biden for his gaffes, but you like... This guy is the most biased reporter, NBC. You know, I made a lot of money for NBC with The Apprentice, and I used to like them, but they are the most biased. Peter is such a biased... Let me ask you about Joe Biden's gaffes. You should be able to ask a question, same question, in a better way. I'll ask a question. You are so obviously biased... And that's why the public has no confidence sir, in the media. Sir, I just said, I, sir, I just said Joe Biden's gas. I'll ask my question. Joe Biden doesn't. Let me just happen. say. Let me, let me just tell you. You said that the mass shooting Joe happened Biden in Dayton. Happen. You said that the mass shooting happened in Toledo when it happened in Dayton. So now let's just stop here. So, 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 for instance, Joe Biden is a gaff a day, or a gaff a statement. We're not saying presidents don't misspeak. We're saying presidents don't misspeak constantly. So this guy, Peter Alexander, NBC News, he's just a punk, which is Trump's point. Go ahead. Joe Biden doesn't have that. Is that fair game, sir, for you? What did you think about the leaked tape of the New York Times planning for a racist narrative? Well, I think the New York Times now has totally lost credibility. Uh, they've given up on the Russian collusion delusion. And now what they're doing is they're trying the racist deal. And that's not going to work because I am the least racist person ever to serve in office, okay? I am the least racist person. But the New York Times, they're trying everything they can. It is a totally dishonest newspaper. It's a paper that really has lost tremendous credibility. And let me tell you, in six years, or maybe 10 or maybe 14, right? In six years, when I'm not here, the New York Times goes out of business very quickly. And you know who else goes out? Like NBC News. NBC News has less credibility, in my opinion, with guys like you than CNN. I think CNN has more credibility than NBC. Sir, thank you. A couple additional questions. Why should you be trusted? Did you hear what I said? I said yeah. you have more credibility than this guy. Go ahead. And that's not saying much. Because I don't think you I don't. You know what? You know why? Because I don't think you have very much credibility. Sir, why should you be trusted to fight for stronger background NBC, checks? NBC, I think has less credibility than CNN. That's not saying much, but that's the way. It's one guy standing up against the gaggle. The media don't even ask serious questions. There's all kinds of serious things going on in this country. All kinds of serious things. Well done, Mr. Brisk. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let me, uh, let me go to this piece at The Federalist. It's a very good website by Joshua Lawson. And I see him out there now and then. And uh, it's very impressive. He's a graduate student at the Van Andel School of Statesmanship at Hillsdale College, pursuing a master's degree in American politics and political philosophy. This is the kind of quality student produced by Hillsdale College, who's allowed in the Hillsdale College. He says... 
is it's there in plain sight, spelled out in its mission statement. The New York Times 1619 project seeks to refine, excuse me, refrain, quote unquote, American history to mark the year 1619 as the true founding. By doing so, the project will, quote, place the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the American story, it says. The year 1619 was chosen for the Times' refounding to mark when the first slaves arrived in the English settlement of Jamestown. For the Times, this moment irredeemably tainted the nation. You're doing the centuries-old actions of men through a 21st-century lens will not solve our present social tensions. Slavery was a heart-wrenching obstacle during America's birth, but by no objective analysis was it the central factor of the founding, as the 1619 Project claims. And this is what the Holocaust-denying New York Times is doing. But stick to this. Slavery was and is an abomination. The ownership of one man over another is an affront to both natural law and our God-given inalienable rights as human beings. It is an evil part of America's past, as well as that of nearly every other nation on earth. The fact that slavery has a universal heritage does not absolve American slave owners, but it does provide a necessary historical context. During the 17th century, slavery was, sadly, an accepted part of life throughout the world. By A.D. 1619, slavery had existed for more than 5,000 years, dating back to at least Mesopotamia. The time the first African slaves arrived in Jamestown, the Spanish and Portuguese had been enslaving blacks and native peoples in the New World for more than 100 years. Native American tribes have been enslaving each other for who knows how long before that. What's notable about the United States is not that its citizens held slaves, but that the West Crusade to end slavery began after Jefferson penned the aspirational words of America's founding document, the Declaration of Independence. Now written by Nicole Hannah-Jones, the 7,600-word flagship essay of the New York Times 1619 Project asserts that, quote, our democracy's founding ideals were false when they were written. Now, forgiving the fact that America is not a democracy but a constitutional republic, what ideals does she mean? The central organizing principle of the American founding was the preservation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Hannah Jones claims, quote, white men who drafted those words did not believe them to be true for the hundreds of thousands of black people in their midst, unquote. She provides no evidence or examples for this sweeping assertion. Alternatively, we know from numerous primary sources that the Founding Fathers did believe those words. Jefferson's original final draft of the Declaration explicitly referred to black slaves not as property, but as men, and castigated King George III for suppressing parliamentary efforts to prohibit or restrain this commerce referring to slavery. This execrable commerce. Letters written to John Jay show Alexander Hamilton hoping the Revolutionary War would lead to the emancipation of blacks and appraising them equal to whites in their abilities. And additional examples are plentiful. The founders were painfully aware of the cognitive dissonance of forming a nation under the proclamation that all were created equal while maintaining slavery. They also had to face the political reality that the 13 colonies could not be united in a new nation 
if they immediately abolished slavery. To insist that southern colonies immediately free their slaves would have been tantamount to demanding they destroy the economic livelihood of the entire region, a political fantasy and suicidal non-starter. As the late scholar Harry Jaffa once pointed out, if they had attempted to secure all the rights of all the men, they would have ended up in no rights secured for any men. With no other way to obtain the necessary support for unity and ratification, the founders spitefully tolerated slavery's existence, while also placing on a path, a short path to extinction. Once the nation secured independence, American statesmen of the founding era slashed away at slavery as quickly as prudence and political reality would allow. The Northwest Ordinance of 1787 prohibited slavery in the territory that would become the states of Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. In 1974, Congress barred American ships from engaging in the slave trade. Additional legislation in 1780 banned Americans from employment or investment in the international slave trade. And then the U.S. Congress officially banned the importation of slaves beginning on January 1, 1808, the earliest date allowed under the deal made to ratify the Constitution. Far from the bastion of racism, hate, and pro-slavery sentiment that the New York Times 1619 Project portrays, much of the United States was ahead of the world in ending the horror of slavery. Shortly after the signing of the Declaration, northern states took the lead. By 1804, New York, New Hampshire, Massachusetts... Vermont, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania had all passed laws that immediately or gradually abolished slavery. This broadside assault against the institution of slavery explicitly contradicts the history sold by the New York Times' Hannah Jones and their 1619 project. If the American founding was grounded in slavery, and the founders didn't believe a word of the opening of the Declaration of Independence... How does one account for these actions? According to Hannah Jones, one of the primary reasons Americans declared independence was to preserve slavery, fearful of the growing calls to abolish the slave trade in London. But a closer look shows the abolitionist movement didn't have a truly organized presence in England until 1783, when the first petition was filed by Quakers. It wasn't until 1787 that the influential society for effecting the abolition of the slave trade was founded. But ultimately, more than 750,000 men died in the conflict that would finally end the wicked institution of slavery in America once and for all. When, it's what, when it was all over, the Civil War claimed eight times as many American lives as a percentage of the U.S. population as the Second World War. Slavery wasn't abolished until 1834 in the British Empire, 1848 in French colonial possessions, 1858 in Portuguese colonies, 1861 in Dutch Caribbean colonies, 1886 in Cuba, 1888 in Brazil. The pace of abolition was even worse in the non-Western part of the world. Barbary pilot slavers from North Africa enslaved more than one million Europeans until the end of World War I three times the number of Africans sold to America. Slavery wasn't abolished in China until 1910, 
but still practiced until 1949. It didn't completely end in Korea until 1930. Qatar allowed slavery until 1952. Saudi Arabia and Yemen until 1962. Uh, Let's see. Using the latest reliable figures from 2016, the Walk Free International Human Rights Organization estimates that on any given day, over 40 million men, women, and children will be victims of modern-day slavery in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Tragically, that number is a low estimate, given the lack of reliable data from the Arab states and the prevalence of slavery that still exists there. The entire framing of the New York Times effort deserves to be questioned. Reconstructing the American founding to the date of the first slave is a standard the Times is only placing on the United States. Is America's newspaper record about to embark on a grand venture of politely telling every other nation its celebratory founding is to be recalibrated to the date of its first instant of slavery? No. The Times Project is deliberately and solely aimed at the United States. Leftists have been engaging in this sort of deception for generations. Between the 30s, uh, 1930s and 1980s, every perceived shortcoming in the United States was put under a microscope while the left was largely silent on the atrocities of communist tyrannies. The left holds contempt and disdain for America's ideals. In their heart of hearts, honest leftists cannot deny the unbelievable success of the United States and its institutions, nor the appeal of its founding principles abroad. So the left's only recourse has been to mount its arguments by comparing American history to a utopian standard they never use with any other country. Self-criticism could be helpful, especially when it leads to improvement or discovery of blind spots in one's thinking. Yet as the Federalist David Marcus points out, the New York Times 1619 Project isn't breaking new ground or telling Americans anything they haven't already heard. Public school textbooks have extensively covered the evils of America's past for decades. The central measure of Howard Zinn's popular textbook, this guy's a left-wing loon, People's History of the United States, is the Marxist narrative of oppressed versus oppressor. Past 20 years, Hollywood has frequently reminded moviegoers of America's past sins, the undisputed evil of slavery, and the long struggle to realize a more perfect union. 2017, the Smithsonian Magazine warned against giving too much importance to the 1619 date, cautioning that doing so distorts history and places unique emphasis on us-versus-them narratives. Well, you don't say. I'm going to take a break, and I want to finish this fantastic piece with you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 
833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLEVIN.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. get back to this piece by Joshua Lawson in The Federalist. No, America wasn't built on slavery, but on all men are created equal. The famous Roman orator Cicero held to a useful dictum. When you witness large forces on the move or scandal fills the air, ask yourself one question. Whom does it benefit? All Americans should ask themselves the same question about the New York Times' ambitious, revisionist history endeavor. Who benefits? For what good? Their 1619 project is politically driven 2020 posturing dressed in the veneer of a historical expose. By warping history, it hopes that dopamine hits of anger and injustice will prevent readers from engaging in objective analysis, just in time to paint America's racist for the upcoming presidential election. He goes on later, America doesn't need further tribal rhetoric tearing up what little societal cohesion remains. The nation certainly doesn't benefit from Times writers conducting a growing chorus of anger and grievance. The New York Times used to at least feign impartiality. The last two years give reason to question its reputation for sound judgment, especially where history is concerned. It published, for instance, one pillow soft piece lauding mass murder, Mao Zedong, and another opining that sex was better under communist rule. And it goes on. Let's link to this story, Mr. Producer. Put it up on the social sites. The New York Times is a propaganda machine, and it's anti-American, and it's anti-American values. That's a fact. I'll be right back. With the daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods But what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Mark doesn't suffer fools well. So, if you're a fool, don't call 877-381-3811. China's on the move, Iran's on the move, Russia's on the move. Government spending through the roof, illegal immigrants on the move across our southern border by the tens of thousands. None of this is being talked about in the way it ought to be talked about. All last week, racism, racism, racism. Nothing of substance, only pontificating by Democrat mouthpieces dressed up as actual 
journalists pushing pseudo-events wrapped in propaganda. Now, you loyal Levinites know this already because you obviously listen to my radio show. You all care about what's really going on. You all care about actual threats facing our great republic. You want to get caught up in propaganda being spewed by the Praetorian Guard media. You want unadulterated facts, knowledge. And then you give an opinion. The great news is that place already exists. It's called Levin TV, where you'll get commentary of mine that you won't get anywhere else because, well, we're unlike anywhere else. We're also beholden to you, Levinites, patriots, all those who love America. That's the audience over Levin TV. Join me as I take on the phonies, take on the left, take on all comers. And we get into history and economics and all kinds of cool stuff, as well as catch up on my past episodes. It's a very simple thing to do. Go to levintv.com to sign up today. L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com to sign today. Use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, and you'll get 10% off. Or you can give them a call at 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-L-E-V-I-N-TV. Again, use code LEVIN, tell them, and you'll get 10% off. Tell them Mark sent you. I hope you'll check that out very much. Shall we move on? I think we shall. Senator Elizabeth Warren at a youth leadership conference in Atlanta Saturday. Spewing the same line as Barack Obama because that's what big government phony politicians do who've never held a serious private sector job. Cut nine, go. Anybody in here own a home, grew up in a family that owned a home? You've been paying a wealth tax for a long time. It's just called a property tax. All right, wait, 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 hold, 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 hold on. This is why I see such a diabolical demagogue. First of all, that's a local tax. It's not a federal tax. We have a federal constitution. Can anybody show me where the wealth tax is in the federal constitution? That's number one. Number two, it's not a wealth tax. It doesn't tax all your wealth. tax your property. That's what took place originally before states had income taxes. They had a variety of taxes, property taxes and so forth, in order to fund their activities. So property taxes go way back. It has nothing to do with wealth. You may own a home you can't afford. You may own a home you can't afford. Maybe you own five homes, whatever it is. It's not a wealth tax. It's a house tax. It's a property tax. <coughs> but it's not a federal tax. Go ahead. Different is for the truly rich, more than $50 million in assets, it's more than your real estate. It's your stock. Ah, so it. it's not just real estate. Okay. Not clever, very stupid, actually. This woman used to be a professor. She worked her way up, pretending to be a Native American. Because although she was a woman, she was a woman of no color. Go ahead. Diamonds, the Rembrandt, and the yacht. I just want them all included. See, see, this this is the kind of propaganda that tears the heart out of this society. Rather than talking about success, achievement... Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, making something of yourself, self-responsibility, accountability, taking advantage of this society, the opportunities, the freedom, capitalism and all. Attack somebody who owns a stock portfolio or has a diamond 
or a yacht. Yacht's nothing more than a big boat. Or Rembrandt. Most people don't have Rembrandts. This is a Marxist, Marxist speech. Wait till you hear the rest of it. Go ahead. In how we think about wealth. And I say to those folks, good for you, you made it big, but I guarantee you didn't build a fortune in America without using workers that all of us help pay to educate. You built a fortune in America getting your goods to market on roads and bridges all of us help pay to build. You were protected by police and firefighters. All of us paid their salaries. Now, isn't it interesting the example she gives? Roads and bridges. Most roads and bridges are state and local. Most roads and bridges are local. Police and firefighters, they're local. And workers, they're private sector. Has nothing to do with the federal government has nothing to do with the federal bureaucracy the department of fill in the blank nothing has nothing to do with the new the new deal the great society the fair deal the square deal obamacare nothing do you know what she's describing here mr producer the civil society Those of you who listen to this show or read my books or what have you, you understand. Nobody denies there's a civil society. We can't exist without a community. We can't exist without neighbors, helping neighbors, without hiring other people to help us, without providing goods to other people or buying material from other people. We don't deny that you need a civil society. John Locke wrote about it. The founders talked about it. A civil society where there's commerce, where there's trade, where you need roads and bridges, where you need law enforcement, firefighters, some on the local government payroll, some volunteers. Who denies that? What we reject is an iron-fisted, centralized, Soviet-type government, which we don't need to build roads and bridges which we don't need to educate ourselves, which we don't need to provide us with quote-unquote workers. We don't need anything that Elizabeth Warren is proposing to maintain a healthy, vigorous, vibrant civil society, to have roads and bridges and police and cops, and yes, even schools. We need nothing that she offers. No wealth tax, no elimination of student loans, no free college, what in the hell does any of that have to do with the civil society? Moreover, please make sure you watch Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday at 10 p.m. I have two brilliant economists where we go through the Democrat agenda and Democratic Socialism. But I hope you heard my first hour last night with the benefit of a brilliant writer from the Daily Signal at the Heritage Foundation where we went through the actual numbers. Senator Warren would destroy the roads. She'd destroy the jobs. She would destroy the schools. She would destroy the economy. Conversely, that would destroy the civil society. 
which of course would drag down the entire governmental edifice. God, I wish I could debate these people. But they will not come on any of my programs. They just won't do it. But I'd love to have a discussion with her. Civil discussion. With Professor Elizabeth Warren. I, I would just love to. Or uh, the Red. Hey, with uh, Bernie Sanders. And what I find appalling and frustrating is even in conservative talk radio, you're still never Trumpers, were never Trumpers, want to be never Trumpers, sort of buy never Trumpers. Always mocking the President of the United States for what he says. Much more than they'll mock Elizabeth Warren, who's far more mock worthy, or Beto O'Rourke, or Bernie Sanders. Oh, they'll take shots at them. But it's not as focused and relentless day in and day out as it is, is against Trump. And on TV, too. As it is against Trump. Trump never says anything as outrageous as the Democrats running for president propose. Never. Never. He never says anything that even comes close to the race baiting that comes out of the mouths of virtually every single Democrat running for president of the United States. With the mouths out of the low-life nobodies on MSNBC and CNN like Joe Scarborough. Hitler. Hitler. Joe Scarborough, illiterate in all fields. I'll give you a perfect example. The morning schmo today. Cut seven, go. Donald Trump is actually attacking Democratic Congresswomen for being anti-Semitic when he has trotted out anti-Semite, anti-Semitic tropes throughout his entire political campaign. Again, you look at that Hillary Clinton ad that that he retweeted, the attack of Hillary Clinton uh, talking about Jewish money, uh, trying to buy off uh, the United States government. That lies right at the heart of anti-Semitic tropes. And again, for, for, for decades, for generations, for centuries, for centuries. Let, let, uh, let's slow down there. He's so ignorant. He's so pathetic. It's just, and he has a platform on a Comcast-owned phony news site, MSNBC. And what kind of accent is this that he has, Mr. Biden? What is that accent? I mean, he comes out of the panhandle of Florida. That's not how they talk in the panhandle. Does he have a speech impediment or something? Or is this just how dumb people sound? I think it's how dumb people sound. Go ahead. Uh, How Jews have been attacked, not only in the Soviet Union, but in Germany. And in the Democrat Party, clown. Why can't you say it? Why can't you say it? Why can't Scarborough's big new Brzezinski's daughter? You know, as a matter of fact, that reminds me. Obama was the worst president when it came to Israel. By the way, up there when it comes to the United States, too. I say these things are in tandem. But the second was Carter. Maybe he was the first. And he still runs around with his anti-Semitic comments. Very pro-Palestinian. 
And his national security part, uh, advisor was Joe Scarborough's would-be father-in-law. This big new Brzezinski. I don't know if this is where he's, he got his history lesson from or not. But you've been calling Hitler, that uh, is, uh, using the name Hitler against the President of the United States repeatedly, Scarborough. You're a real snake. You're a real, real slime ball. You just are. Shame on you. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day. Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. People are always asking me, Mark, is the X chair really as comfortable as you say it is? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting in it right now. been sitting in it for hours. I write my books sitting in this chair. I watch TV sitting in this chair. The answer is always yes. In fact, I probably don't do an adequate job describing just how great this chair feels. Take my advice. Get one to feel it for yourself. I'm going to make it easy for you to do it. Stay with me. Thanks to X chair's 30-day no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. You have no risk. So if you're wondering if what I say is true, try it for yourself. Once you feel the X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, or DVL, you'll understand exactly why I love my X chair, and you will too. Take advantage of X chair's new financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you. You can get the X basic or X1 through X4. X-Chair can fit your body and your budget. I'm going to tell you something that's going to change your life, too. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com, or give us a call, 1-844-4X-Chair. 1-844-4X-Chair. Go to xchair.com now. Use code XWheels. And you receive a free set of the new X wheels with your chair. XChairLevin.com or one eight four 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 X Chair. Let's sneak in a call here. Let me see. Let me pull the script. There it is. The screen is there. Dave, Iowa City, Iowa XM Satellite, go. Hello, Mark. And first off, uh, thank you for taking my call. It's a great uh, pleasure to talk to you. I've been listening to you, great one, since you were well way back in terrestrial days and uh, yes. ABC and wow. all the way to now. So I'm a well, truck thank driver. You. 
across the road. I wanted to say I cannot speak for the Jewish people because I'm not Jewish. But well, neither can Omar or Talib, by the way. That's true. But I am Romani, and one yeah. and a half million of my people died in the Parajmas by socialists, by fascists. And I stand shoulder to shoulder with my Jewish brothers and sisters because we died in the same place in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. So when they continually bring up Trump as a fascist and a racist... They actually use the name, David, Hitler. I know, it's incredible. The brown shirts are alive and well, Mark. They're in the Democratic I, I, I mean, I mean, how does a guy like Scarborough stay on the air when I can demonstrate that he, more than any other person in any form of television, has called Trump or insinuated that Trump is Hitler more than anybody else? How do you retain a job on a news platform? I don't know because I don't see the connection because I know that, the, that, like I said, the brown shirts are alive and well. They're in the left wing of the Democratic Party. I think they are dressed in black now and they call themselves Antifa. That, brother. All right, David. You be safe out there. We love our truck drivers here. I think I told this story a year or so ago. Driving back with my stepdaughter from, where was it? Oh, Hohokus, I believe. Took a different route. Got hungry, hungry, went into a uh, Burger King, um, pulled off. There were trucks everywhere, so all the truckers used this back route. It's like I'm a celebrity. I walk in there, open my mouth, people hear my voice. Are you so-and-so? Oh, look who it is. Fantastic, our truck drivers. I want to thank you. Keeping this country uh, vibrant, helping to feed us. Cindy, Arlington, Virginia, the great WMAL, go. Uh, Yes, Mark. I just wanted to point out a comparative uh, observation that's kind of been overlooked. And uh, as heinous as a crime as the Manson murders were, uh, they certainly can't be uh, claimed to be worse or more horrific than what happened during uh, the war under the time of Hitler and the Nazi regime. And since the left has no qualms about constantly referring to Trump as Hitler and Nazi references, I think it's time to start calling the left the Manson family for many different reasons, which I'm sure you would. All right, my friend. I guess there's a lot of characterizations we can make, but I'll stick to mine. I'll be right back. Thank you. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. My buddy Ken Cuccinelli, he's the acting head of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, was on the local WML show with my buddy Larry O'Connor. My buddy's everywhere. And then my buddy Paul Bedard, a real journalist over at the Washington Examiners, noted and reported that 
Cuccinelli talks about 17 immigration fixes that are cutting illegal immigration. Things that this president is trying to do. This is an impressive list. Imagine what he'd be doing if he had a Congress that upheld its constitutional oath and enforced existing immigration law that Congress itself passed. There'd be no end to what we could accomplish. But hey... My dream. So here are the immigration efforts unveiled this year by the administration. Pulled from the administration's fact sheet. This is really quite impressive. They changed this Flores rule. Stop, catch, and release by holding immigrant families in federal facilities while their case is processed instead of releasing them after 20 days and hoping they return to immigration courts. That's a big deal. Migrant protection protocols, a deal in which migrants seeking admission to the United States from Mexico may be required to wait in Mexico. Since it was signed in May, Southwest border arrests have decreased 43%. Border wall, 0.52, 0.52 miles of new wall, excuse me, Border wall, 52 miles, not point fifty two. Fifty two miles of new wall built in heavily trafficked areas along the southern border with 334 miles of border wall promised to be built by the end of 2020. The president has had to do this utterly on his own. So 52 miles with another 334 miles coming. He has sent 5,000 troops who have been at the border. Pentagon has redirected $2.5 billion from the military construction budget to help build 100 miles of the wall along the southern border. These are all, again, done by the president without any serious help from Congress. What do you mean serious? Any. The U.S. and Guatemala agreed to enter an asylum cooperative agreement to allow asylum seekers to be transported to Guatemala to seek asylum there first. $4.6 billion in emergency aid sought by the administration was approved. Well, there's one. The administration said it provided minimal funding for the humanitarian mission at the border. They wanted more. Providing supplies for the hundreds of thousands of aliens coming into the country every month. The asylum rule made migrants ineligible for asylum if they passed through another country on the way to the U.S. without claiming asylum there. Only 10 to 15 percent are ever granted asylum. The public charge rule requires immigrants to be self-sufficient and able to support themselves without specified government welfare benefits. Drug enforcement was expanded. In June, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol seized a vessel that contained 33,000 pounds of cocaine, one of the largest cocaine drug seizures in history. 33,000 pounds? The administration moved to challenge activist judicial decisions. Law enforcement had been beefed up, especially at ICE, where enforcement and removal operations have been expanded. More Border Patrol agents have been assigned to the border. More asylum officers, 500 more by the end of the year, have been created. Sponsors of migrants are now facing enforcement of their legal responsibilities. Justice issued a rule more clearly defining the category of social groups as a claim for credible fear in asylum cases. 
The minimum investment requirement in the EB-5 Visa Immigration Investor Program was increased. So some of these are major, some of these are not as major, but they're all intended to do exactly the right thing. Exactly the right thing. Now we have a story here from the Washington Times. And the headline is, Trump-Pelosi budget deal sends deficit soaring. What's the problem with the headline on that story, Mr. Producer? It's the McConnell-Pelosi budget deal. It's the Congress budget. Congress's budget, they send it to the president. And they tell him, take it or leave it, or shut down the government. So... It's the McConnell-Pelosi bill, and McConnell famously told Trump, it was in a newspaper, you don't lose votes by spending money. This is a so-called conservative. A so-called conservative. But it goes, the budget deal President Trump and House Speaker Pelosi struck last month will cost taxpayers $1.7 trillion over the next decade. The government's chief scorekeeper said today... That'd be the Congressional Budget Office. In the near term, the deficit for 2019 will be $960 billion. No, it won't. I bet it's over $1 trillion. I'll bet it's over $1 trillion. So we have this massive, massive budget, apart from all these other proposals. By the way, by Republicans, Democrats, by the administration, nobody, nobody, hello, Nobody wants to address this or has any intention of addressing it. This will remain my bugaboo to the day I die. Because I see it as a grave threat to every successive generation. It limits what they can do with federal spending. It limits what they can do in their own lives. It'll limit economic growth. And we're reaching a point where it's uncontrollable. Where it's uncontrollable. Vladimir Putin. Russia will react accordingly after U.S. missile tests. Well, here's what's been going on. Russia's a poor country. They have a relatively small GDP. Compared to us, they have a small GDP. It is a flat economy. It is negative population growth. Much of their GDP is poured into military. And this is what drives... Putin kind of nuts. Small hands, if you will. And he said today that the United States testing of a new missile, which had been banned under a now-defunct arms treaty, raises new threats for Russia and will warrant a response. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is this treaty that Putin has been violating ever since Donald Trump walked into the Oval Office. And Obama let him get away with it. And he was warned and warned and warned by the president over and over and over again. And finally we said, you know what? We're going to remove this treaty too. Now what is this treaty? Basically they're intermediate missiles with warheads, nuclear warheads. And they're ground-based. So the ground-based version of a Navy Tomahawk missile with a nuclear warhead. And you can see how dangerous that is. They're mobile. be hard to stop them medium distances and so forth. So we tested a brand new one the other day, and of course it worked flawlessly. Russia tested one earlier, 
and it blew up. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? And uh, now he's threatening, well, now we will act accordingly. Well, what does that mean? You started it, dummy. He starts it. They can't do it. We can do it. So what's their answer? Steal American technology if you can. And moving on, may I? A little lighthearted news. Communist Red China from finance.yahoo. China's foreign ministry said Monday the U.S. must halt the sale of Lockheed Martin F-16V fighter jets to Taiwan or bear all consequences. You know, I'm getting a little sick and tired of the Xi threatening everybody. Threatening his people. Threatening Vietnam. Threatening the Philippines. Threatening South Korea. Threatening Japan. Threatening us. The hell does this jerk think he is? You jerk. Xi. Oh, Mark, your social credit rating is really going to hit bottom. (laughs) We have to send you to one of those re-education camps. (laughs) Or maybe we'll have some kind of treaty, you know, where if you break our laws, you can be tried in China's due process system. Yeah, yeah. Department of State (coughs) wants approval by uh, Senate Foreign Relations and House Foreign Relations Committees to send these F-16s to Taiwan and let me tell you what China's reaction tells us. The Mark Levin plan. What? What are you talking The Mark Levin plan. You long-time listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. Since we get can't stop China from massively increasing its military presence, not only in its region, but internationally, being a provocateur, being the puppeteer behind the puppet Un over there in North Korea, having given him technology necessary to threaten South Korea and Japan. I think we need to ring China. China doesn't have a lot of, of, uh, of, of uh, water bases. It's mostly, not exclusively, but it's mostly landlocked. Not exclusively, I said that. We took 100 nuclear warheads out of South Korea under George H.W. Bush, number 41, uh, in return for Un's father agreeing not to pursue nuclear warheads. Well, they have. I put 100 warheads back. I'd forget about being friends anymore. Hey, let's meet at the DMV. What time? Five, six, lunch, dinner? What do you think? Nah, no more meetings. Doesn't mean you have to blow them off the face of the earth. Doesn't mean it's war. But you have to contain them. And in the case of North Korea, containment is what's necessary now while we work on some kind of plan for overthrow. Don't get nervous. Quietly. Quietly, you know. May not work, who knows. So, um, that would be South Korea. Japan would like tactical nukes. Japan ought to get them. And then we tell China this will really get them. And one more threat against us, we're going to put them in Taiwan. We'll control them, but we'll put them in Taiwan. What do you think of that? Now get back in your damn box. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Well, how many more times do I have to explain the Electoral College? 
Let me ask you a question. Unalienable rights in the Constitution. What's an unalienable right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and to pursue your life unmolested by government. Then an edifice is built around that, called a government. It's a government that exists for the purpose of promoting and protecting your unalienable rights. Otherwise, there's really no legitimate reason for government. The Electoral College, they say, should be replaced by the popular vote. Why? Does the popular vote in every instance protect your unalienable rights? Are there some things that must not be voted on? Are there some things that are not in the purview of government, local, state, or federal? Of course. The vote is how we put people in positions of power. There's all kinds of rules when it comes to voting. Age, or supposedly, citizenship. If you're going to vote in a local election, you need to be part of that community. If you're going to vote in a state election, you need to be part of the state. Now, the Electoral College was set up because there were at least two forms of tyranny the revolutionaries and later the framers of the Constitution feared. They feared the French Revolution. Mob rule. Which led to a decade of blood in the streets. Thumb up, thumb down. Off with their head. Tyranny by a mob is every bit as horrific as tyranny by a despot. You can have tyranny by a mob. You can have tyranny by a legislature. You can have tyranny by a monarchy. You can have tyranny by an oligopoly. You can have all kinds of tyranny. So the goal is to protect your unalienable rights. So they feared the mob. They saw what it did to France. They saw the horrific bloodshed that took place in the French Revolution. American Revolution was very different. And of course they knew of history past. Rule of the mob. Rule of the mob doesn't protect your unalienable rights. Let's say the mob gets the vote. Let's say they're very civil people. But they want to vote for a wealth tax. They want to vote on all kinds of stuff that affects you, your family. Well, wait a minute. They're impeding on my unalienable rights. Exactly. Well, that's not a legitimate vote. Or look at this. They had the vote on the Gaza Strip. Who'd they vote for? Hamas. So the vote in and of itself is not an unalienable right. Under the right circumstances, it's a process toward protecting your unalienable rights. Okay? Then there is the dictatorship in one form or another. And obviously the framers feared that. They just fought an eight-and-a-half-year revolutionary war, and they defeated the most powerful monarchy on the face of the earth, and they were expected to lose and lose quickly. And it cost them dearly. But they won. 
Well, we don't want one of those either. What are we going to do? We have all these states, these former colonies. Some of them have big populations. Some of them have smaller populations. Some of them have big geography and size. Some of them are small. How are we going to bring all these, these diverse states together into this one country? Well, little Delaware is not going to jump in. If the only way to have access to the federal government is through the popular vote, hell no. That means the much-populated Virginia would have enormous sway. Virginia, New York, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania would basically control the whole country. So the other states aren't going to participate. So they came up with a compromise, which is the brilliant electoral college. Rather than attacking, it's brilliant. It's nothing to do with race, nothing to do with slavery. Not whatsoever, never. So why do we need the Electoral College today? Now that all these states are part of the Union, now that we had a civil war, we really have no exitability. Why is the Electoral College important today? When we return, I'll give you the answer. nice if search engines and social media sites were unbiased platforms that didn't choose a side politically? Keep dreaming. 2016, the tech elites at Google bragged about donating millions of dollars to Hillary. These big tech companies that restrict the free speech rights of conservatives are the very same corporations we're trusting to handle our personal data online. I don't want them using my web history or video searches against me. Do you? That's why I use ExpressVPN every time I go online. It's the best. And when I use ExpressVPN, these tech companies can't see my IP address at all. My identity is masked and made anonymous. Plus, ExpressVPN has the added benefit of encrypting 100% of your data to keep you safe from hackers and Internet bad guys. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mark. That's expressvpnvpn.com slash mark for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mark to learn more. I hope you'll check it out. So why is the Electoral College necessary today? Well, we have a union. And, of course, it was important in having, creating a union. But it's more than that. It's important in maintaining a union. We still have large states and small states. We have more states than ever before. We have industrial states, agricultural states, rural states, urban states, huge states that have all kinds of activities going on, a diversity of states. It's a wonderful thing. It's too bad we don't honor it as much as we should. So one of the major benefits of an electoral college, it ensures that all parts of the country have a role in the federal government, have a say in governance. A state like Nevada, with the population centers, the vast majority of the rest rural and uninhabited, 
Same like Montana. Loaded with natural resources. But a very small state, population-wise, a very large state geographically. Nebraska and Kansas. Relatively average populations, but breadbaskets. Iowa, among others. Cities can't eat without our farms. And yet we need workers for our industry. We need cities for our products. The Electoral College is, has a harmonizing effect. So one part of the country, or one kind of faction within the country, doesn't hold sway over the rest of the country. We cease to be a country. Otherwise, only a relative handful of metropolitan areas, counties, cities, will control the country. Which is why the left, for the most part, almost exclusively is in favor of eliminating the Electoral College. To eliminate it is to disenfranchise entire areas, populations of our country. To create factions, to create resentments, to once again tear the country apart, but to empower New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, and down the line, and to disempower one state after another. It's a power grab. It has nothing to do with human rights. It's nothing to do with we support the vote. They've looked at the calculus. Now they have to amend the Constitution. But I'm convinced one day, maybe half a century from now, we don't support Article 5 Convention of States. They'll change the Constitution by hook or by crook. This is what they do anyway. So it sounds great. Oh, we're going to have a vote. Ooh, wonderful. Even that is corrupt. You tell them you won't photo ID, you're told that's racist. Why is it racist? Well, because poor people don't have access to IDs. Every state that's passed serious voter ID laws offers to give voter IDs for free. And you never hear that argument when it comes to buying beer, buying guns, going to the airport. You know, that's, that really is anti-poor. You never hear that argument. Only when it comes to the vote. Why? Once again, it's about power. The Democrats want a corrupt vote. Democrats want to eliminate the Electoral College. The Democrats want to eliminate the Constitution. They attack the Declaration of Independence. Democrats want to eliminate 1776, replace it with 1619. Now, I've made this point often, so I'll make it again. See, the United States Senate doesn't make any sense either, then. Why have two senators from every state? Why should you have two senators from Rhode Island? Or Delaware? Or Nevada? Or Montana? Or whatever? And two senators from California? And New York? And Florida? So forth. That's not fair. 
because it's a republic. It's not a direct democracy. Voting has a role in the process of governance. A role. And by the way, all American citizens who are qualified to vote should vote. All those efforts to stop people from voting in the past are outrageous. I'm not talking about ensuring the vote is honest. I'm talking about based on race, this, and the other. All that crap is wrong, and all of it's gone. Despite the Democrats, they can never let go. can never let go. See, the Electoral College is crucial. Crucial. Candidates wouldn't even campaign in in four-fifths of the country. You actually have candidates campaigning in Maine because of a potentially close electoral college election. They're campaigning in Nevada. What are they doing there? Iowa would be utterly meaningless. New Hampshire? Forget it. Vermont? Forget it. And on and on and on. So a handful of big states with big cities. And of course the most important state would be California. This is what the Democrats have figured out. I can't think of a single proposal the Democrats make that promotes liberty. The civil society. Economic opportunity and economic growth. Can't think of a single proposal, a single policy, not one. I can't think of a single proposal or policy that they make that would strengthen the Constitution. That would strengthen our immigration laws. That would strengthen our military. Can't think of any. Can you? Strengthen our finances as a nation. Can't think of any. They are a very destructive force. Very, very destructive force. It's what they are. And by they, I mean not only the Democrat Party, which has been a destructive force for most of its history. Few exceptions, but that's the rule. But the modern mass media, same thing. I just explained to you, what, in 10 minutes? Why the Electoral College is important. Is it explained in our high schools? No. Colleges and universities? Why bother? Slave owners, you know. Is it discussed in the pages of the New York Times? No. And we're told it's racist. Well, of course, everything's racist. But the Electoral College had nothing whatsoever to do with race, despite what some of these egghead, bobblehead professors write their treaties on, treatises on. Never did. Show it to me in Madison's notes. Show it to me. It doesn't exist. Show it to me in the state conventions. Show it to me in the state convention transcripts. Where they say, we got to support the Electoral College to uphold slavery. It doesn't exist. Never existed. There's nothing to do with it. But, you know, the Democrat base, I'm convinced of this, is as stupid as it gets. Otherwise, I don't think these Democrats running for office and reprobates like Aach would have any standing. 
their base would say, you know what, you're an idiot. You know what, I extend, understand, and even in an elemental way, economics, uh, Warren, you're a buffoon. Or AOC. Why are you messing with our Constitution, you idiot? No, it's, they're there with their tongues hanging out of their mouth, their spittle dripping down the corners of their mouth, or their tie-dye t-shirts. Really? Why? Yeah. One vote, one man. Yeah. Get rid of the electoral call. Yeah. Get rid of it. I need that. I mean, after all, gave us Donald Trump and George W. Bush. Yeah, that's right. Get rid of that. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Well, we got another five hours of content here, but unfortunately, things do need to wind down. Goes very fast for me. Hope it does for you. You know, the good, the true, the beautiful. Think about those concepts for a second. What do they actually mean? How can one begin to understand these high and noble ideals? Folks, it starts with the right kind of education. This kind of education used to be common, but has become increasingly rare. Used to be that college students, young people, would study comprehensively a variety of subjects from philosophy to politics to biology, from literature to history to theology. Core curriculum, in other words. But sadly, that's not the case these days. I can tell you about one place where young people study like this, Hillsdale College. At Hillsdale, students work hard, spending more than half their time studying the core. The result? Hillsdale alumni are leaders with intelligence and character, ready to make a difference in their families, communities, and country. But it all starts with that core. The core that every student takes, the core that develops moral and intellectual virtue, the core that helps them understand the good, the true, and the beautiful. Find out more about what education is meant to be at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. And by the way, don't forget the Mark Levin podcast. It's one of the biggest conservative podcasts in the country, even though I'm on radio. This is a radio-centric show, but people like to listen to it on the podcast. Perhaps it's more convenient. Perhaps we're preempted. Perhaps we're taped delayed. Who knows what it is? Perhaps you're busy one night. There's a way around all that. It's called a podcast. May I strongly encourage you to set up the podcast so it's available anytime you want to listen. You can listen to my current show, or you can listen to back shows. And we have a great podcast. It's very easy to use. So may I encourage you to go ahead and sign up and do this? It's free, 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 free. And there's three steps. Three steps, I would say, wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? That's it. So we have this wonderful webpage for my radio program. It's The Mothership. It's marklevinshow.com. That's simple. marklevinshow.com. So go to marklevinshow.com. Now what do I do? Well, you're on the homepage. Look at the top center of the homepage, the middle of the top. See where it says audio rewind? Audio rewind. That's the magic link. Hit that link. That takes you to the podcast page. 
That was two steps, right, Mr. Producer? Then you're on the podcast page. Pick the platform you want to use and download the app. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher. There's all kinds you can use, even outside my system. And you're set. And it's that simple. So let's say you're listening to the show, 6 p.m. It's WMAL in Washington, D.C., my home base. And at 6.30, all of a sudden, the Redskins come on. That's okay. You go to the podcast. You can listen to me on the podcast. Which is what I'd like you to do. Go to marklevinshow.com. Click on the audio rewind, middle of the top homepage, and pick your podcast page. Uh, pick, pick your uh, podcast uh, platform: Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and so forth. We want to build this up. We're already nearly at three million listeners a month. In addition to terrestrial radio, AM and FM, in addition to satellite, in difference to, in, in addition to streaming, it's enormous. All of you folks overseas who listen, maybe you're typed into something on the internet, download the podcast. Download the podcast. You never know. I may not be here one day, so you'll be able to hear me on the podcast. Just saying, just kidding. Actually, I have five and a half years left. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? So here we are. I mean, on my deal, not, not for the rest of my life. All right, let's take some calls. Let's see. Let's go to. Let's go to Matthew, Dodge City, Kansas, the great XM satellite. Go right ahead. Hi, Mark. First time caller, long time listener. So if the left wants to abolish the electoral college um, and the right just kind of moves around the target like they always do and they end up settling for something that's closer to the left. Let's let's slow down. I don't agree with that. Uh, description of the right. The right is objection, objecting to these attacks on the Constitution. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, why doesn't anybody ever throw out maybe let's do the popular vote, but let's do it by county, where one county gets one vote for each state? All right, let, let's, let's slow down. Why not have 15 different ideas? Once you open it up, there's no closing it. And what makes you think that that would be a great idea anyway? Well, I wouldn't say it would be a great idea, but... This is a state-based system. It's a state-based system, or it was meant to be. It's not a county-based. Counties are creations, governing creations of a state. You have first-class counties, first-class cities, second-class... So that's because the state, the colony, is primary. That's our history. Not a county, not a city, not a town, not the federal government. I like the Electoral College, and I think we ought to... Not tinker with it. We ought to continue to defend it. Thank you for your call, my friend. All right. I didn't mean to be agitated with you, sir. Honestly, I didn't. Let's see. Just need a hamburger, you know. Oh, only 40 seconds? All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm done. I have more here. Sign up for the podcast. If you have a minute, please go to Amazon.com. Secure your copy of Unfreedom of the Press. If you haven't, why not? Come on now. Join the rest of us. We need your help. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all law enforcement. Thank you. We very much appreciate you here. 
And we will see you tomorrow, God willing. And God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.